0: Our scripture is going to be from Jeremiah 29, verses 4 to 11, and I want to invite you to stand as is our tradition as we read God's word together. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all of those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you future, excuse me, hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And this is the word of God. Please be seated.
1: Well, good morning. Don't worry, Scott, my father-in-law can't pronounce my last name either. Um, But let's not let it happen again, okay? I am his boss. Um, Should we close in prayer? Okay. Sorry, let's get back on track. So as we begin this seven-week series that Scott has so eloquently invited all of you into, uh, I want to assume that there's a couple kinds of us. There's some of us who, yeah, I believe it. The scripture, the story, God, that's all part of my life. And my encouragement to people like me, and if that's you, is that over these next seven weeks, that we would humble ourselves a little bit and realize that God is still speaking, that God is still building that God is still teaching, and that you and I probably, the longer we pursue Jesus, there's moments where we make this big story really small and to put ourselves in a place of relearning the next seven weeks. To be open that we might not know the whole story. I know that will be true for me. And yet I'm also praying and hoping and anticipating that some of you who are here, don't know what to believe about this story, maybe you came last week and you took us up on our invitation and your life isn't one in which you would say I'm a follower of Jesus or I even am a church person or a Bible person and I want to tell you from the onset what we told you last week is that we are so glad that you are here and that you do not need to believe to belong here. Now we want you to believe, I think you know that. And the hope would be over this next seven week journey that maybe, just maybe, you too would be in a spot of relearning, being open. And that there might be more to life, there might be more to your understanding or ununderstanding of God. There might be more to the purpose God has for you in this world that you wouldn't know. And that this seven week journey we take together along that spectrum would be a life-changing experience for us at Lake Avenue Church. So wherever you are on the spectrum, let's go for it. Last September, Jenny and I had uh, tickets to a very special event. Now, leading up to getting tickets to this event, we had done a significant amount of research. And in fact, the tickets went up for sale at 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning on a weekend that I was preaching. So during the sermon, I looked over at Jenny about 9.55 she had keys to my office, all the passwords. She left the worship center and successfully, successfully got us two tickets on our actual 15-year anniversary to go see Hamilton at the Pantages. And we paid ticket price for that. So if you leave early during church, I look, there's nothing really good opening today, okay? <laughs> so you don't need to leave at 9.55. And so when we actually got tickets to go see Hamilton on our 15-year anniversary, we were beside ourselves. And the day of the show, I remember, I might as well not have even come into work because we kept texting and then texting our babysitter, seeing if she could come earlier and earlier, and then we would have dinner. And then eventually we found ourselves sitting in our seats. And as before the show began, if you're not aware of how big Hamilton is, at the time we were to see it, It had had the largest grossing week in the history of Broadway. There was one week in particular on Broadway where in eight shows, Hamilton brought in $3.3 million in eight shows. At the time that we were to see Hamilton, it had the most Tony nominations of any musical in history. That year where it was nominated, it won multiple Tonys, including categories like Best Musical, Score, Lead Actor, Lin well, Miranda, the creator, won a Pulitzer Prize for Hamilton, Grammys. Clearly, this is a big show, and it was a big evening for Jenny and I. And so as the show began, I found myself suddenly a little bit frustrated because in the very average seats that we had, they were very average seats. It seems to be of all the open seats at the Pantages, the two people that were sitting behind Jenny and I must have thought they were at a different event. They thought they were at the audition of Hamilton. (laughs) And as the show began, they were having a great time. I did speak to them very lovingly at intermission, and we got half of it well, but they were just in their own space. In this big moment, in this big musical, in this big evening, this big story, these two people behind us had a tendency to do what you and I do all the time when we're in big moments and we make them very small. And we make them about ourselves. And that is the truth of what it means to be human. It's just an illustration, right? Because we can go to movies or you can even go to a high school musical and have somebody sit behind you and be very unaware of where they are and what's happening. But the point is, it's not them, it's you and it's me all the time. That there's this big moment happening. There's this big thing that we are in the midst of, and we reduce it down into something very, very small. In the midst of something big, human beings, you and I, we make things very, very small. And it's no different in the way we understand God, and it's no different in the way we understand the Bible. That God is huge, and yet we have a tendency to make him very small. That these scriptures are wildly deep and beautiful and intertwined and complex but simple. And we can even reduce these scriptures down to a verse or half a verse. And in fact, the scripture we're using this morning contains in it, in these ten verses that Scott read, contains one verse in particular that has been the the object of of Christian reduction. You know it. It's Jeremiah 29.11. You probably have a coffee mug on it, with it on it. You have a magnet. You have a greeting card. Some of you might even have a tattoo of it somewhere. (laughs) For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. This is a beautiful verse. Incredible words. And the truth of it is, that as beautiful and as true as those words are, we often hear this verse and we make it, the bigness of it, and we make it very small and we make it about us. We make it about our future, our plan, what's gonna happen for us. Instead of the bigness, one, of the context of the works which we're gonna talk about this morning, and the bigness of the God who's actually speaking these words. That's the big story of this verse. We fail to see the larger story happening in this verse, and it's what we're going to attempt to do today. When we read these verses, this particular verse, and the verses that we have read in its context, understand that these words were written and spoken to a very specific people at a very specific time. Now, I'm going to go over a very broad view of the story of God. Next week's going to be incredible as we go into more detail on some of this. And I'm hoping and assuming that there's things in here that some of you might not know or connect. And if you know it all, just smile anyway because it took me a long time to write this down, okay? Here we go. In the Bible, early on in the Bible, God chooses one nation, one people group as his chosen people. And that would be Israel. Israel. It was through his special relationship with the Israelites that God would demonstrate to the rest of the world who he is, what his ways are, and how he and he alone is the one true God in the time, in a time, un- not unlike ours, where there's a lots of ideas about who God is and what gods are or aren't. So much of the Old Testament is about this very complicated relationship between God and this chosen group of people. He gives them a way to live, ways of living, and they continually have fits and starts in their relationship with God. Throughout it all, God continues to choose them. God continues to provide for them and love them. It's through this people God is showing his love to the rest of the world. Now, the Israelites had some amazing moments in this journey with God and this relationship with God. Many of us know the story of Moses, or at least can, can make sense of it. So now, this chosen group of people is living a very unchosen life. They're enslaved in Egypt, and God, because they're his people, sends Moses and delivers them out of slavery, walks them out of their persecuted state, walks them, sp- splits the Red Sea to make a way for them. Their collective history of being the chosen people of God is full of incredible moments, intimate moments of God providing in incredible ways. And the reality is, as much as they had that as a part of their story, they're just like you and they're just like me. They were human beings and they had really, really bad memories that in the midst of these miraculous moments... Their humanness continued to set in in their history. They had bad memories and they forgot about who God is and what God had done for them and what God promises them. Scripture says they're a stiff-necked people, a forgetful people. God even tries to help them out and said, here, we're gonna, I'm going to set up a way of living for you where annually you do these things and you'll remember me. Remember when I delivered you. All these rituals and festivals and all these moments was God helping them to remember him. So the book of Jeremiah is set during a very chaotic time in Israel's history. The Assyrian Empire had had come down, the Babylonians were underway, and in the midst of all this chaos, there were thousands of Israelites who were trapped in Babylon, who couldn't get back home, who couldn't be with the rest of the people. They were trapped in a foreign land. At this time, the Israelites had been unfaithful to their covenant with God. We can read that they were worshiping other gods. They were failing to properly live the way that God had called them to live. Specifically, they weren't caring for the orphans, the widows, the sojourners among them. Their actions brought about God's judgment on them. And now they found themselves away from their homeland. They were in exile. So enter Jeremiah. Right, the prophet Jeremiah, he sends a letter, and what we have read today, and it continues on, is the first letter of the Bible. It's the first letter sent in that kind of way. We know the New Testament is full of all kinds of letters. So enter Jeremiah. He sends a letter in which he speaks to those who find themselves trapped under Babylonian rule. Those who are trapped in exile. Earlier, he's already confronted uh, someone called Hananiah, this uh, prophet who was basically saying to all the people in exile, we're not going to be here very long, we're going to get home soon, maybe two years, and then we're home, so just be patient. God will deliver us. We will get home. So when we read the words that we have this morning, Jeremiah has a very different message to them from God, and in its essence, it says, hey, you're not going anywhere anytime soon. Among the many things that Jeremiah says, he gives them directives from God to build homes and to plant gardens, to marry and have children. And then he goes on to say, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you will prosper. This was not what the Israelites wanted to hear. They wanted to be told that they were going to go home soon. They wanted to be told that their suffering was going to end, and instead God's plan for them was to settle where they were and to help prosper the very nation that was holding them in a captivity. God's plan for them was to settle where they were and to help prosper the very people who are holding them in captivity. And the huge shock to them as they heard these words must have been in verse 10 when God says, And after you do this for 70 years, 70 years you will be here. That meant that many of them would never go home, if not all of them would never go home, essentially a whole generation. So their kids, they will have, they'll they'll be home someday. But for them, those individuals, it wasn't for them to ever go back. So the plans, the verse we put on a mug, uh, the verse we put on a magnet, the verse that brings us great comfort, and it can, is in the context of some really heavy news. It's in the context of exile, it's in the context of disobedience, it's in the context of very complicated relationship. Clearly, the Israelites were in a tough season, and clearly, and we'll see how they felt distanced from God. They assumed that God had forgotten about them. Being away from their land, we we don't even have categories of how they understood God. They had a a literal land and a a temple where God's presence was and and very specific ways to worship and to encounter God's presence. So being away from home wasn't, they just weren't getting mail. They were away from everything that was normal for them. It was away from every kind of devotion they had ever had from God. They could not access the way of connecting to God that they were used to. And so this letter, as as heavy as it is to them, this letter is meant to be a word of encouragement, a word of encouragement to those who are in exile, a word of encouragement to those who are experiencing distance from God, that God communicates to his people that he is near, that he remembers them, and ultimately he will restore them. That God isn't gonna allow their disobedience to find their relationship, but that their future and their plans... Aren't going to be realized in the near term, so settle in, and I actually have some things I want you to do while you're here. So what's the big story? The big story isn't about you and me right now. The big story is about a God who seeks his people. And as we look at these verses in some more detail, I want to suggest that there are three words that just emerge about God. In the coming weeks, we're going to hear a whole lot about God's plan and his story and his purpose and what he's doing in this world, but we ought to get acquainted afresh with who God is. And from this text, there's three words that just emerge about who God is that aren't just limited to these 10 verses, but they're seen throughout the entire narrative of the Bible. And those words are pr- promise, purpose, and presence. So promise, promise. We have a God who keeps his promise, and a God who keeps his promises. God's promise began a while back. In the beginning, in Genesis 12, we see a promise that God makes to, at the time, Abram, who will later become Abraham, when he says to him, I will make you a great nation, Genesis 12, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through this line of Abraham. So those who are in captivity in Babylon at this time are part of this lineage. They're part of this ancestry. They're part of this group of people that this particular promise that started with Abraham has continued. Now in Jeremiah, we see God continuing to fulfill his promise even through disobedient people. And this promise that will continue will continue past this group of people. That's why we still have more Bible and that's why we have all these genealogies recorded to trace back that this original promise that God makes to, 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 through Abraham to the world, making his name great through this, it extends to Jesus, and you and I are sitting here today as part of that. God continues his promise even in the midst of disobedience, even in the midst of forgetfulness, even in the midst of disrespect, at our worst moments, and don't we have horrible moments, at our worst moments, God remains faithful to his promises. He's faithful to his promises to Israel, and he's faithful to the promises of intimacy for you and I. But you and I, let's be honest, we don't work this way. Disobedience often voids out promises for you and me. I mean, just a very simple way. I didn't It happens a lot, maybe not a lot, but about I remember about a year and a half ago, I'd made a promise to the boys, tonight we're getting ice cream, I think Jenny was gone. And so, we're gonna have ice cream tonight. We get in the car, I have very, very, very few rules in the car. But one of the very few rules I had in the car was broken within four houses of us pulling out of our driveway. And so I turned around, and we came home, and we didn't have ice cream that night. Their disobedience voided out the promise of ice cream. We live in a punitive world. When someone breaks promise or disobeys something, we return differently than God. Now, I will say, if they would have repented a little bit with me, we probably, because I wanted ice cream probably more than they did. (laughs) God is not like this. He does not work like we do. We see in Jeremiah that even with clear disobedience, God continues to keep his promise to this group of people. He will restore them and he will use them. He will provide for them. God was still part of their lives, their story, even when they were in exile. And so for you and me today, do you know that through any circumstance, any season you are in, the worst thing that you have done this week The thing that surprised you about yourself this week. Do you know that God still has a promise to you that He will be with you and that He will use you? That even in times of exile, we have a God who promises for us, has promises for us, and a God who keeps His promises. He won't let our disobedience get in the way. So, promise we can learn from God. Second, purpose. I think in this text, we see a God who gives purpose to His people. There's something so radically, radical happening in these verses, and again, I have been praying all week that it would just drop on your hearts and minds the way it has dropped on my mind and heart this week. There's something so amazingly profound and shocking happening in verses 6, 7, and 8, and frankly, it's so radical in its context, we can struggle to connect with it. So let me try. In verses 8 and 9, we get a glimpse into the fact that there were prophets and diviners among them who were preaching a very different message than what Jeremiah was bringing. They were preaching that this captivity would be brief. A couple of years, they would be back in Jerusalem. They were away from home and under foreign control, and they were being told it's just going to be for a little while. So essentially, don't get used to where you are and don't get used to the people you're around because you're going to go home soon. So when Jeremiah comes in with these words in verses 6 and 7 that says to them, no, no, settle in, and I have plans for you while you're here for the next 70 years. Settling in. Build your home. Plant your garden. Increase your family. Don't worry about thinking about going home because this is your new home. Start living and start living here. Now this is in direct opposition to those other voices that were promising a short stay, right? Verse 10 says, 70 years. It's a radical message and as unwelcomed as the words to settle in are, even more radical is what follows and even more unexpected when Jeremiah instructs them that while they are here, while they've built their home and build their family and plant their gardens and while they're in captivity, while they're in exile, God has some plans for their time. And specifically, that they are supposed to seek the welfare of the city. They are to care for, pray for, and work for the flourishing of the very land and the very people who are enslaving them. He goes further, and he says, hey, how they do, how that city does, and how this people does, is directly connected to how you will do. So, get working. Start blessing. Start working towards the health, the peace, the flourishing of the very group of people who are holding you in bondage. God is asking them to pray and work for the flourishing of those that they despise. I wonder if that might have any application for anybody here today. In a polarized world that you and I live in, might God just be asking you To seek the welfare of the city, the country of the world, and that how someone you despise, their flourishing is connected to your well-being. Wow. Seeking the welfare of the city, the safety of those in the city, the health of those in the city, the interests of those in the city. Seeking the good for others, the prosperity of others. This was their agenda, and I would argue that that agenda remains when you look at the larger story. And over the next seven weeks, we'll look at that together. That the welfare of this world, of all creation, is something that God still wants his people to be a part of. I believe these verses communicate purpose, not only for them, of their time in captivity, but they communicate purpose for you and I as well. First life is not about just waiting around not about just kind of waiting for the next thing or, or even if we get to a certain age, we're just kind of waiting. We just want to get to heaven. I think God still says settle in. Get living. Start living here and now. Be present in this day, in this moment. I have, I have a life for you to live. Jesus says he has come to give us life and to give it abundantly. But I also think we're to seek The welfare of the place God has placed us, to seek the welfare of our city, to seek and love and care for others, to make other other people's prosperity and flourishing your priority? Do you spend much time connecting your own welfare, our own welfare at Lake Avenue Church with the very people that we live our lives with outside of Lake Avenue Church? That how they experience life matters and it's something worth directing my prayers, thoughts, actions, beliefs. Not just others who are like you or look like you, but who are the Babylonians in your life that God is asking you to seek welfare. So, promise. Purpose and finally presence, a God who offers his presence to his people. Chris Ramsey, who's on our staff as we were having a sermon prep meeting this week, had, a, had just a mind-blowing observation that I've got to give him credit for about God's presence. Again, remember, this is a, a, a nation-state kind of group of people. They are used to a very specific location of where God's presence was, and now they find themselves trapped in Babylon, away from that place. And what we see here in this, in this letter that Jeremiah delivers is part of this evolving nature of God's presence in the scriptures. Clearly, this group of people felt distant from God. They couldn't access him in the worshiping place and space. They couldn't access him in the ways he asked them to access him. And so when God comes to them through the words of Jeremiah, God's presence being available to them was revolutionary. It was new. It's not new for us because we're a New Testament church. We're a New Testament people. We know that in Acts 2 when the Spirit descends, the Spirit doesn't descend on a location like in the Old Testament. The Spirit descends on a community, a group of people. We know that as followers of Jesus that the Holy Spirit indwells us, lives among us, that God is with us. We at least intellectually know that whether we live it or not. But this group of people had no concept of that. And so for God to offer his presence to them in exile, in disobedience, was a profound offer. That God offers his presence to his people. Often, you and I, even though we have all the right information about the spirit indwelling us, we still live like Old Testament people. We believe that God lives a little more specially here at 393 North Lake Avenue. Or I know you Lake Avenue people, he really lives at Coco's down the street, (laughs) or Panera, or wherever else we have our Bible studies. The truth is that God isn't confined to a location, and he communicates that to his people here, and his presence isn't one that we have to travel to, his presence isn't one that we need to be banned from, he offers his presence to you and me, and it's a 24-7 access. And as radical as these words were to those in exile, they should be radical to you and me this morning, that the living God offers his very presence to you and me. God keeps his promise of his presence available to his people. But hear the words from verses 12 and 13. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. For me today, this weekend... I need personally to live in the reality, that no matter my obedience, my actions, my words, anything I have done that has either been wonderful or horrible, that the living God continues to give me his presence, and so I can call on him. I can seek him. I can pray to him, and that is how it works for us today. God's presence is right here, and it's out there. And it's when you lie and sleep, and it's when you wake up, and it's when you're doing great things with your kids, it's doing things when you're just streaming shows on Netflix. God's presence is available to us, and it's about us waking up to the reality, to seek him, to pray to him, to ask and to be aware of his presence, and he is faithful to give it. So we have a God who keeps his promises to his people, a God who gives his people purpose, and a God who offers his very presence to his people. And as I've been thinking and praying about this week, about you and about me and about our church, about those who maybe glimpse God through the prophet Jeremiah and who are discerning what this might mean for you and I, I just have a couple of colorful thoughts for you to ponder. And one is this What story are you living in? And is it possible that you've made this biggest story pretty small? Is it possible that some of us have taken the scriptures and the story about God and his relentless pursuit and love of his people and squished it down into a bunch of individual little small parts that don't connect to that larger narrative? Brothers and sisters, if the story of God doesn't frame how you spend your time, your story of God is too small. If your calendar or your prayer life isn't filled with places and prayers for the welfare of your city or for others, your story is too small. If your small groups, your adult classes aren't focused on how you are to be a blessing to others both inside and outside of your group, you might be living a very small story If the story of God you believe has God's presence in very specific places or within one or one and a half specific political parties, you are living a very small story of God's presence. If your belief in God only has God present and aware when life is good and happy and untethered from pain, you are living a small story. And the larger story is one that in the midst of exile, in the midst of blatant disobedience, that God still holds his promise offers us purpose, gives us his presence and that we can seek him and pray to him and he will answer. I believe that. So if you are living a small story, wake up today to the larger story. Another question for you, what's the purpose that we, we exist for here at Lake Avenue Church? What's the purpose you exist for? Have you heard the word of God today? Maybe I encourage you to settle in a little bit. Maybe you haven't really settled into relationship because you don't know if you're going to be here a while. Maybe week after week you, there's something I know I should go to that connect banner and get in a small group, but I don't know. I don't know I'm not really ready to settle. You're going to be here a while. Settle in. Start living life. Stop watching it pass by. And similarly, maybe it's time to do a welfare audit. How are you seeking the welfare of? Pasadena? How are you seeking the welfare of the locations and the people that God has placed in and around you? How are we at Lake Avenue seeking the welfare of our city? During this series, we're going to have amazing moments to hear those stories and to see those places God has called us to. In fact, this is, I think, a strength of Lake Avenue Church. Greg and I got an email uh, last week and a text message, one from Meyer, one from someone else, that someone in our congregation got this amazing award from Pasadena Unified School District. Because three years ago, as we have Blair High School as a commitment to us, um, someone from our congregation emerged out, said I can bring my gifts to that, and has spent the last three years not only going weekly to Blair High School to work with handicapped children and music, but mobilizing so many of you in this congregation to go with her. And Val Lascota, our Val Lascoda, got like volunteer of the year for PUSD. That's someone who's seeking the welfare of the city as someone not waiting around for time to end and it's not waiting around till we die for intimacy with god it's right here and now and forever and here and now has great purpose and if you are not sensing purpose in your life may the words of jeremiah motivate you and finally as a reminder to you and to me god's presence doesn't live at 393 north lake avenue God's presence isn't just around when we're with Christians. God's presence is available to you and to me 24 hours a day, seven days a week. When we really reflect on that, it should blow our minds. At Carol Kenyon, her ordination service, it was a beautiful evening. And as Carol brought many profound words to that time, one of the things that just stood out to me was her talking about in in her work as a hospital chaplain the, The reality of the presence of God is something she experiences daily all the time. All the time. People coming and going and the spiritual life and God's presence is so thick around her it's changed her life. You should talk to her about it. Are you looking for God outside of the places you normally experience God? Have you stopped searching? Do you daily experience God's presence in some way? Again, hear the word from the Lord from Jeremiah. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart. So seek him with all your heart. Whether you recognize God as God, my guess is that you've experienced God's presence before, even if you didn't step feet in a church building before. The same God who actively pursues his people in Jeremiah actively pursues you. And in these moments, you get deep ideas of connection and intimacy. So whether it be as you go on a hike and see the beauty of the creation or when your child is born or when you really experience love from somebody, all are gifts of God's ultimate comfort and love for you and I. All are tastes of the God who loves you and provides his presence to you. And often it's been my experience that we can get this gift of his presence when we most need it, when we are in our own personal exiles. This is me in uh, sixth grade going into seventh grade. Um, It was a, a season of exile in my life. Many of you know my story. It was at a time in my life where my parents were getting divorced, and the homeland, in essence, of everything I had known, started getting turned upside down a little bit. And so, by God's grace, I found myself at Forest Home, and that week of camp... You had to memorize a verse each day to get maximum points for your team, and I didn't want to let my team down. And that Wednesday, I know it was a Wednesday, guess what the verse was? The verse was Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And yeah, probably at that point, Scott, it was more like a, a pharmacy But God's word is pretty powerful. And it wasn't like I memorized that verse and all the pain went away and all the complexity of what we were going through as a family went away. But deep, deep, deep in my heart and my soul, the word of God did something to me that I sensed a promise. I sensed a very similar promise to what God was promising his original people. It was a promise of purpose, it was a promise of presence. And I knew in my heart that if I gave my life to a God who was about his presence and his purpose, even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of exile, that maybe, just maybe, I was going to be okay. It was many, many years ago. And I can tell you, uh, it's not like the only exile moment of my life. But I can tell you this, that what started as memorizing points for camp Changed everything about my life, and I pray that it can change your life, too. God, we need your help, because left to our own, we are forgetful people. And I pray that for each one of us, today and the coming days, we would experience your promise, your purpose for our lives, and your presence in ways we never have before. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.